This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the podcast, founder of On Canada Project, Samantha Krishnapile, joins the shift and chats about a group of millennial volunteers taking action by gathering and sharing important news online, filtering through it and trying to translate it at context so people can understand it. It's interesting stuff. They're working hard and they're making an impact too, trying to make the information of our day a little bit more inclusive and comprehensible through social media. Canada had an injury in space. Canada Arm 2 was hit by a lucky strike, a space junk piece in it. Might have been a rock, they don't know. Andrew Ferreira tells us all about the damage, what the arm does in space, what the Canada Arm 3 could look like, and so much more. And are you okay with sculptures worth thousands that you can't even see? Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, man. I'm just going to read it. Wait. I'm just going to read it no, as it is. No. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Wait a minute. You Wait, want me to refresh the screen? Second. It's the very first one, Ryan. Is he editing a typo? That... He's editing a typo and asking us to wait for him. We can't do that. That's not the because rules. No. Dem's not the rules. I can't. Right, I don't see it. Are you okay? <laughs> I was, I was gonna change him. Uh, you couldn't even find it. Are you okay no, going for a swim? <laughs> huh? No. Wait. Go. Are going you, for a swim. You, you did change it. You changed it. Yeah. No. No. You, you did no, change it. I swear. I swear. I, swear, I just no, you changed no, it. No, that's a change. No. <laughs> Look, I think that in this point, when uh, you know when. When you come against the tribunal here, mm. we do look at a history of past behavior uh, to see if you qualify for your probation. Tribunal. <laughs> the, the, the typo tribunal. I didn't change it. <laughs> Radio Ghost okay. did that. We'll give you, I, I'm willing to bet money there's a typo in the story anyway. So are you okay Probably. with going for a swim, question mark? On a day like today? Sure. Why not? Yep. Go get Jump in the ocean. I'm not big yeah. on the water, though. Like, I'm not big on nope. it. I'm always grateful when I get there. So my uh, my buddy Chad has a, a cabin out in Invermere, and we'll go on the lake, uh, Windermere in particular. We'll go out of the lake, and, you know, I'll jump in the water, and it'll cool off, and it's awesome, and then get back in the boat. And I'm probably good for the weekend. Like, I'm like, that was nice. It felt great. Really? Like, yeah, so I enjoy it, but I don't feel compelled. Some people are like, they see the beach, and they're like, put me in the water now. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. I did it last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate the beach. I love swimming. It's one of my favorite things to do. It, like that's if I ever buy a house, it must have a pool because I would use really? it every day. Yeah, I absolutely love swimming. I almost uh, did lifeguarding and then I got bored and stopped. But <laughs> I, I love Larry swimming. The, Larry the Cable Guy has a really great stand-up bit about how when he was young, he wanted to be a lifeguard and he had a really bright future until a blue kid wrecked it for him. It's really, it crosses the mm. <laughs> the proper lines of all things politically correct, but it is worth Googling and watching because he's very funny. Yes. Uh, okay. Months ago, Chris Gilbert shared a story of a Florida woman who found herself trapped inside a storm drain. She was down there for weeks, but she managed to survive. That same woman went missing in Texas and was rescued from a drain pipe. <laughs> no way. Yep. Uh CBCS 12. CBCS 12. Is that really CBCS? Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's a an American broadcaster. I don't All right. Because no, we did the whole time. All right. Yeah, I okay. Don't think so. You know what? One a story, gents. One a story. Just well, play the clip, Brendan. This is two. This is the second one of this story. But, yeah, there's no, CB, you know. there's no CBCS 12 uh, station. Ryan just tried to fool us. So that means that. That's a typo. CBS 12 has the story and some insight into why she made the choice to go through the endeavor again. Family says the 43-year-old checked into a rehab facility called Greenhouse in Grand Prairie for psychosis and post-traumatic stress disorder. She went for a walk and they weren't monitoring them. She was easily able to walk in and out of the facility without any monitor. Just one week after checking in, family says they were notified that Kennedy had left the premises earlier and that police had spotted a woman entering a manhole by a nearby canal. I said she might look for a storm drain opening because she said to me when I said to her, Lindsay, how could you 
even have your wits about you in a storm drain. It's black, pitch black. And she said, Mom, it's the safest place I felt. Grand Prairie, Texas Police Department posted on Facebook about the missing woman, but Kennedy's mother says it was up to her and her best friend to search the underground system. We got the grid system of the subsystem. We went into every manhole opening that we could find and screamed with the megaphone to try to maybe thought she was sleeping, wake her up. We were dropping Ziploc bags and we put in protein bars. We put in a Gatorade, a bottle of Gatorade. I put in salt and vinegar chips because that's her favorite. Thanks to a tracking app on Kennedy's cell phone, family was able to ping her last location before entering the underground system where they began their search. We got missing person signs and we were putting them up too. We did that all day Friday and then Saturday came along and we were continuing to do that. Brady Morgan, one of Kennedy's closest friends, says psychosis played a large role behind Lindsay's actions. Every time she slips into a psychosis now, she's going to want to go get away from everybody where it's quiet, where it's dark. Four days after searching for the 43-year-old, Kennedy heard their cries. She had clothes on this time. She was shocked. I think she thought that she was hallucinating when she saw me. According to family and friends, Kennedy was located climbing out of a six-foot-wide drain pipe by a nearby creek. Wow. That is so much Isn't more to incredible? the story. Yeah. Because it, when we all heard it, it was like, what is this crazy lady doing in a drain pipe? And now it's like this person has been put through so much trauma that the only place she feels safe is in a storm drain. Like, yeah, I, I genuinely hope she just gets the help she needs because that's absolutely insane. So here's how I understand it. And let me know if you heard it the same way. So what happened was, is that she ended up trapped in the drain pipe, like legit. Yep. The first time. Legit. Yeah. And, uh, and then when she was there... She felt safe there. And now, as she deals with her PTSD, they suspected that that's where she went again, was into another place similar to that. And that's why they went looking, found her, though, this time in four days. According to family, Kennedy suffers from psychosis and PTSD after years in an abusive relationship. The family tells CBS 12 that they hope to take her back home to recover near family and friends. You know what's neat about that, though? is that now that they've discovered that this sort of dark, peaceful place, whether it's water or, you know, there's a lot of spiritual hippy-dippy stuff about how grounding water is. So um, it's interesting to think that they might have actually found a way for her to find peace and recover now that um, now that all this has happened. And that could be kind of cool. It could be a cool outcome out of all this. Maybe a little bit of peace with the family. I hope so. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. Um, wow, that's a good turn we didn't expect. Are you okay? Are you okay with kids on your lawn? Well, first of all, all kids should get off my lawn. There it is. <laughs> I don't have a lawn, but if I did, I would prefer only I was on that lawn. <laughs> For me, um, the only thing that ever ends up on my lawn is things that I've ordered, I guess, because, you know, <laughs> otherwise. Delivery? Yeah, delivery. <laughs> right, the bed, uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, uh, For not, sure enough, like, if I'm in my rocking chair and I've got my cardigan, uh, get off my lawn. I mean, if my lawn has new stripes on it, you better get off it. I say that like my lawn is actually healthy. It's a poster stamp, and I basically just let it dry and die every year. That's really what it is, so it's not fancy. Texas will soon pass a law loosening open carry laws across the state. Keep that in mind as you hear this story. A Texas mother has been charged after accidentally shooting her five-year-old son while trying to shoot a dog that was running across the street in North Houston, according to police. What? Here's more from ABC7. Saturday afternoon, six-month-old boxer Bruno's owner, who didn't want his face shown, thought his brother was at the front door and opened it to check. I came out of my house because, you know, he was barking and barking. You know, I thought it was my brother was coming. So I opened the door just a little bit and he comes running out. Bruno! As captured on this Ring video, the owner immediately follows Bruno out and tries to get him to come inside. But within seconds, gunfire. It's hard to see on the video, but neighbors say a family of three, including Angelia Vargas and her five-year-old son, were riding their bicycles on the upper right-hand 
of the video. And it was Vargas who fired at Bruno only to have a bullet ricochet and hit her own son. But I feel bad because, you know, what happened to the little boy, you know, I just heard everybody screaming and yelling and guns. Oh, I went inside. The little boy was hit in the stomach and transported to the hospital. Bruno was grazed at the leg, but is otherwise fine. The mother, Vargas, is now charged with deadly conduct. She's out on bond. But Bruno's owner says this just did not have to happen. There could have been, you know, different ways we could have handled that. She just didn't even just started pulling out, didn't aim or nothing, just started shooting. Wow. Yeah. She tried to shoot a puppy, a boxer. I don't know about you, but boxers are some of the most well-behaved and friendly dogs I've ever been around in my life. What were you thinking? They're dumb, but they're cute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely stupid. But, like, come on. But, like, it's... It's a dog. It's a, yeah. It's like, not an attack dog. What did she I mean, think it was a pit bull or something? And that's her but first even response. That. Get the kids inside. Nope. I got this. Got the nine millimeter, and that's your instinct. Unbelievable. That's that is unbelievable. I guess bad days. Bruno's owner was given a class C misdemeanor citation for having a loose dog. Hi. That hurts my heart a little bit. I got to tell you, that whole story hurts my heart because it didn't sound like there was a ton of remorse, really. I felt bad because of what happened to the kid. Like, it didn't really sound like, oh, my God, I'm never picking up a gun again. It just was like, yeah, that didn't work out, did it? (laughs) Like, it was, oh, man. I mean, at least the kid is okay. You know, not a totally tragic end. Uh but it's just the decision-making process. Like, it's just a puppy. And the puppy could have gotten hurt. Too. The puppy got shot, too. I mean, Grace, but still. Yeah, come Ryan on. Ryan loves the puppies. Let me explain this for all the shift heads. Ryan has a thing for the, all the puppies. If Ryan could collect all the puppies, he would have all the puppies. Just yes. to be clear. All right. Yes. Are you okay? Are you okay with sculptures? Some of them, yeah. Some of them, yeah. I like to be an art connoisseur, I suppose. Go to the art gallery just across the street from here. Look at some of the sculptures. Some of them are weird, though. Super weird. Some, Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for us. Calgary is the same way. We've got some incredible ones. There's this one of Vincent van Gogh downtown that's like one of the best I've ever seen. And then there's also a giant blue ring that sits on a highway. That In the middle of nowhere. Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um so I would agree. In certain circumstances, sculptures are great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's true. And there's a couple always in all the cities where it's like the, the businessman waving and it's like in everybody's touristy photos. Like, Yeah. Every fun, city has that. Right? Yeah. But some of them are just weird. An Italian man has crafted a masterpiece sculpture. What? It's sold for $18,000. There's one little catch to this sculpture that you need to be aware of, though. It's invisible. Here's more from NPR. (laughs) Good morning. I'm Steve Inskeep. Move over non-fungible tokens. An Italian artist, Salvatore Garal, recently sold his latest invisible sculpture, a work titled I Am. It isn't. The art does not exist except in the imagination of the artist. Garau says the sculpture may be displayed in any light since it's not there. The buyer gets a stamp certificate in exchange for payment of $18,000, assuming they can't just imagine they paid. Wow. <laughs> what a good line. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to no. FBR, though, that yeah. one. Uh, See, I'm uh, a world-class arts. artist then, too. Like, I've created masterpiece after masterpiece. They're all up mm. here, though. All up here. All of them. The non-fungible token, the NFT of buying digital items. That's a pretty good story in the in the land of, you know, selling off your digital items. Like, now we can sell off our thoughts, man. This is this is my question, though. Do you think he genuinely is like, this is art, and somebody has bought my thought, or he went, I'm going to see if I can actually really pull this off, and got home and counted all $18,000 and went, yep, I've made a good career choice? Yeah, I, this is me being me here in this. I think it's really <laughs> yeah. cool. 
Well, you know what you it do. is? It actually takes, because quite often we sit down and we storytell, right? How many storytellers sit down and will tell a story? And they're amazing at it. Once upon a time, there was a boy from Calgary who grew up into a man who played with Lego and spent way too much money on sneakers. Like people will tell stories and it's amazing. But, and those people get paid for it. So maybe this guy has created this sculpture or, and he tells the story of the sculpture and he said, I'm going to tell you this amazing story. And if you love it, you're going to pay $18,000 for it because this is the vision of my sculpture and I will tell it to you. And every time you want to hear it, you call me and I will tell you or something like that. I mean, I, I think it's really kind of cool as, as, as weird as it is and kind of scammy as it sort of feels. It's a little scammy. I kind of get it, I think. And I I'm not high at all. No, oh, you're not. No. I can confirm. I just wish it was cheaper. $18,000 is a car yeah. and someone bought a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or two or three, two or three pairs of sneakers. All, uh, yeah. Great least. artists will tell you all. Great art exists in the unconscious, the collective unconscious, the great yeah. river. And that's what it all comes out of. So his art is just flowing through there, the great river. Oh. And he just hasn't physically yeah. made it. It's, it's in there, though. I don't know if it's worth 18000 though. I can't say. You can't see it, so I guess we won't know. That's a tough one to invite your friends over to check it out, though, right? Um, like, hey, I bought this new piece of art. Come and check it out. And, like, just a blank pedestal. Like, okay, let me tell you about it. Um, so am I, am I going to uh, – is this yeah, next yeah. line chunk here? This this, this, this chunk here is is a part of his quote of of what this represents. So please. Oh, okay, so the, this is wicked. I'm going to read it then. I'm <sighs> is uh is this the, is this the artist's perspective or is this the buyer's? Yeah, this is this is the artist. All right. The 67-year-old went on to elaborate that the vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy, and even if we empty it and there's nothing left, According to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that nothing has a weight. Therefore, it has energy and is condensed and transformed into particles, that is, into us. Much like how we shape a god we've never seen. Whoa. <laughs> Still not paying 18000 though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is The Shift Podcast. I often say here on The Shift that, what are you going to do about it? What can you do? Take a stand. I don't ever look for you to agree with me by any means, but I do ask you to consider the words that I share with you. It's not something that I expect us to always agree, you and I. I, I really don't. In fact, the more we disagree, the better we both become. We get to learn new things. We get to create new things. I've said this many times here on The Shift. And the cool part of all that is what happens if we actually give a damn, right? And not follow the trends. Well, there's an organization that's been shared and growing very quickly over the last year. They were created about a year ago, a little over a year ago, with COVID and trying to dig through the the mud pit that was info in the very beginning. It's called the On Canada Project. And the On Canada Project has a bunch of things. It has volunteers that write, uh, sort through information. They've taken on some new projects since then uh, in and around um, Settlers Take Action and Flip the Script Ontario is what they call them. Um, plus, there is a little bit of a business element to sort of uh, get access to some Gen Zers and uh, and uh, millennials too. So organizations, I mean, they've got to fund it. So that's okay to do a little bit of work. And joining me now is Samantha. Samantha is the founder, if I have this correctly. It's Krishna Pillay. Uh, she's from Markham, so Toronto, and uh, and joins us now to chat about the On Canada Project. Samantha, uh, it's been a busy year for you and the gang. It has been a really busy year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and the project here. I'm I'm really excited. It's um, been a it's been a busy year for everyone, but uh, the work on the project is definitely. Uh, made it a very unique year for me. So tell us how you got started. And because uh, it was really COVID and info and confusion that really saw this opportunity to to bring people together. So so how did that happen? Yeah, I think um, I just saw a lot of in it, like a, the pandemic was going on and I felt like I had the contextual information to understand the why or the how behind what was being said. And that brought me such great comfort during a time that of such chaos. Like, I mean, none of us are ever going to feel comfortable during the pandemic, but um, 
just just knowing a little bit more made it a little less overwhelming. And I was like, man, more people should have that little bit more. More people should feel that little bit more comfort. And it shouldn't matter what you studied in school uh, to get that because the communication should just come to you that way. Um, it should come to you with compassion. It should come to you with um, an equity lens, understanding that, you know, what works for them, like writing a one size fits all public health message doesn't really fit many people. And you leave a no. whole lot of people out. And when I kept seeing that going on for a couple months, I think I something snapped mid early May of last year. And I was just like, nope, I've, I've got to do it. I'm going to start it. I'm going to make an account on the, on the Instagram and I'm going to run with it. And it, it really came from like, you know, there's inequities and uh, there was a lack of compassion in the messaging. And that's what sort of, sort of got us going. Mm -hmm. And you've created the on Canada project, basically kind of sorting through now it is incredibly difficult. I'm not a journalist, although in my world, I have the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council, so I've done my study and responsibilities of broadcasting. Stepping into the world of, I guess it's online journalism in a way, because uh, you're kind of bringing information to the front and you are at the same time translating it to people out of language from doctors and politicians into uh, normal people's brains, which is, hey, by the way, when you go to the grocery store today, you might have to wait in line outside. It can be that simple, but it can be incredibly helpful to people. So how have you sorted through that? Like, did you have a background in any of that at first or did you just find your way? I'm straight up winging it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't really think of us as a news source. I don't think we're, I don't really... <laughs> I'm a millennial. I don't like labels. Um, I don't really, <laughs> I don't know what we are. I just know that uh, there was a need for it. So we started, we don't really think of ourselves though as like breaking news. We think of it as like the best friend that contextualizes the news for you. You know, like you hear that something's going on and you have that friend in your friend group that goes, wait, let me, let me explain that. Like, I, I know all about that. Let me give you why it's happening. And let's, let me tell you what's not being said in that story. And uh, what the context is and the history there. And we kind of, we think of ourselves as that friend on the internet. Um, so more of a, you heard it here second rather than a, you heard it here first. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's what we're trying to do, but uh, no, I, I don't have a background in communication. I, other well, that's great. You're doing a great job. I mean, the things that you guys have created again, and I, like I said, when we first started chatting was, We've asked, I've asked many, many times for all Canadians, what, what are you prepared to do about it? Cause we can sit and we can bitch about it all day. And what are you prepared to do about it? And it doesn't have to be this big. Now, what Samantha has done is taken this onto a massive megaphone of a platform to take it on, which in hindsight, you might look back and then go, Oh dear, what have I done? But at the same time, it can be as simple as sitting down you know, appropriately, of course, in, in your various health regions and having a, a coffee on a park bench or, or on a walk with a friend and talking about the hard conversations that come up around COVID. And so it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go out and create an organization to do it like Samantha has done, but get into those conversations or at least don't avoid them when they come up. So are you surprised, Samantha, at the community that showed up for you? Um, you know, as a guy who's a Gen Xer, I would say it's not a surprise that all these millennials had all the free time, but um, you, uh, I mean that in a, in a jestful way, uh, but at the same time, you, you've had quite the community show up here to help you. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that, uh, like, you know, uh, that we're very aligned that I also ask our audience what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. But I think what I understood when the, I guess this is a part of, from the question earlier, um, in order for us to get through this pandemic, we all have to understand what's going on and do our part. And in to order to do your part, you have to have the information to make an informed decision. So that's really a big part of what happened. It was, I was like, it's not going to work if only half of us understand what's going on or half of us um, have the privilege to do something and don't understand how to adapt the guidelines to life without that privilege. Um, for example, like if you do have to go to work because you're an essential worker, how do you minimize your risk? Um, a lot of that messaging was missing and in some spaces are, is still missing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, there was a guy, I'll tell you this. Uh, so a year ago when I was, I was self-employed and working part-time in radio because I'd done full-time radio for decades and then I stepped away and then I've come back. But at the time I went to work at a warehouse 
just because I didn't know what was coming with COVID. And there was a gentleman there that he kept brushing his teeth after lunch. Now, how simple is that? I mean, frankly, it's oral hygiene that we all wish we had. But the reality was, is that the instruction was, you can't do that right now because of everything COVID that was going on. This guy didn't get it. So, I mean, there are people there that just sometimes don't see it. They just don't get it. It's a total blind spot. Yeah, but I think most people don't want to die from COVID. So they want that information. They want to know. They want to be safe. They want their families to be safe. So how do we give them that information in a compassionate voice? And that really, really was the focus. And um, I, I, I think what was what I knew really quickly was I wouldn't be able to do it alone because it's a lot of work and there's a lot of things to consider. And I'm not an expert. I'm just a person, a reluctant optimist trying her best to sort of make a make the world a little bit better. So I asked the internet for help. And now we've got like a team of 170 um, sort of like friendly neighborhood nerds and active citizens, varying mm-hmm. backgrounds, varying interests, varying educations, working together on this, um, volunteering on this, uh, because they they believe in what we're doing. And they showed up first. And I think the tone resonated with people because it probably sounded like a friend talking to you. And who doesn't want to catch up with their friends right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have taken in Ontario the, the conversation around uh, sick leave, as an example, which is not the only province that doesn't have that. This is the, this is the, the nature of what is Canada mm-hmm. in Ontario. Uh, the Ford government's getting their feet held to the fire on paid sick leave. And, you know, it's a simple, but it ain't easy topic. And at the same time, wouldn't it be nice to not feel like you had to go to work and fake being sick just so you could afford to pay your rent? Uh, that's for sure. But then there's always people that'll take advantage of it. So it's not easy in Ontario, same con- or excuse me, in British Columbia, same conversation happening. But the reality is, is they don't get held to the fire the same way. It must be hard to look at Canada. I feel like I understand this because the shift is all across Canada. It must be hard to look at Canada when you drill down um, into these topics when they're so broad. Yeah, it's uh, it's really difficult. We what, One of the things that we've been trying to do is recruit volunteers from other provinces so that, um, like, I think you have to live in that province to be able to write about it because there's just so much nuance around it and contextual information around it that that makes it easy easier if you if you live in um, in that province. But yeah, it is really hard. It's hard covering what's going on across the country. But I feel like that's a problem that predates the pandemic. Like we, mm-hmm. we all live in our little, in our provinces and it's our own little bubble. And we very rarely pay attention to news in other provinces. Um, and I, I think a lot about like in America, people, they know the governors of their, of their States, like uh, when you live there, but in Canada, we don't really know. Like, I don't know all the premieres. Well, I do know yeah. because I've been doing this project, but prior to this, I didn't know. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't tell you all of them. Like offhand, if you said, "What's the, who's the prime minister of uh, uh, Saskatchewan? I mean, okay, maybe I'll get that one right. But the reality is that you really don't, right? It's hard. And and then that, that I, in my opinion, when that this disconnect between the provinces makes it hard for us to come together as people, as Canadians, to take action around things because it just feels like, so fragmented and there's not a lot of understanding around uh, the different areas. Sorry. That's all right. We get the chimes happening from time to time. It's the nature of working from home. Um, So it is interesting where you go. That is a very wide lens. What's something that you've learned, you know, as a millennial, um, what, what, what's something that you learned that surprised you that millennials get it wrong? Cause I'm sure that that's also opened. This project has opened your eyes into all kinds of generations get it wrong. Mine does yours does, you know, what surprised you the most in this work about like getting, getting things wrong. I, I don't, I think, um, I think that for a lot of millennials and, and, and for generation Z, which is a large part of our team. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, difficulty engaging, but I, I feel like that's like, I think my parents are like that too. It's just difficult mm-hmm. to engage. It's difficult, difficult to leave your bubble. Um, yeah. And you, you're kind of stuck in this one area and it's hard to understand. Like we're all in these individual echo chambers um, 
And sometimes that's within your own generation. Sometimes that's within your profession, within your uh, community, within your, you know, whatever. And I think that that makes it hard to understand that there are other people because you just keep hearing the same thing and like social media just reiterates it. This is really cool. Yeah. And what you've done to me, you've brought me up uh, something where we started. And I, this is from the kindness of my heart that I share this with you is that you said you don't like labels, but yet at the same time, we struggle to break outside our label in order to have conversation and talk about things. So isn't that a strange notion and a blind spot? Maybe we all have, you have it, I have it, we do have it. And, um, and isn't that interesting to say that we don't, I also don't like labels. And isn't that interesting to say that um, we don't like labels, but at the same time, we have a hard time in our day-to-day lives breaking the labels in order to have conversation. Cause that's interesting. I mean, I think that's worth, I think that's worth talking about because we think we don't like labels, but yet we live into them every day. Yeah, I think um, I think personally, I don't like labels around sectors. I think sectors like uh, and like in like it, so like health sector, media sector, everything. I think they work better when there's like fluidity and interdisciplinary um, efforts. Like I see it on our team, having someone with a creative arts background and a d- design background working with me, a science kid, makes our visuals more and like. Uh, approachable Uh, Mm -hmm. and that if I was doing it on my own, I would, they wouldn't look like this. It would look much worse. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think the solutions we need have to break out of these different sectors that exist. Um, So whenever someone's like, so are you news or are you social justice or are you this? And I just, I, that's the label I struggle with because I'm like, we're just trying to do good. I don't know. I don't know what we are. Um, I just, I just, I'm tired of, people thinking things don't affect them so they don't matter. And that that's yeah. a dangerous place to live in. It's a dangerous place to live in. Can I give you the answer, at least as I see it, my contribution to you for when people say, well, are you justice or are you whatever, whatever? Sure, yeah. And say, word was what's best for Canada. Oh my goodness, that's great. Hey, word guy for you right there. We're just best by So we'll take it on where we're doing whatever it's best for yeah. Canada. So um, that's my contribution for you. So getting it right and getting it wrong, not from morality, but getting it correct or incorrect or getting accurate and inaccurate. Uh, those are big things. And I, um, it's incredibly difficult to do. And I did want to offer you one thing because what matters to me in this is I hope that we can bring you on to the shift here more and more because this is interesting perspective. And I want shift listeners to be able to come in and uh, be able to look at your stuff and get it. Sometimes what I've, in my experience as a broadcaster, we trust the information that's been given to us. We go, we seek it out. We try to find uh, credential. (laughs) Oh, my brain is dying. It's so hot today. um, And my brain is dying. Um, But we are trying to find information that is valid and accurate. And, the, the reality is sometimes the information we get is not. And um, sometimes information does change over time. In the internet land, when things go out there, they stay out there. Mm-hmm. So if you guys create an infographic and then you don't realize from nine months ago that infographic now is inaccurate just because there's more information. How do you deal with that? How do you change it or change the narrative? In a newspaper, they would write some crappy little apology on the back page. In broadcasting, we're supposed to come back on and, and sort of own it as a talk show host because, you know, I try to live in credibility um, that, you know, I've got to have the integrity to come back on and say, hey, by the way, when I told you that that was wrong, here's the accurate information. How do you do it on the internet? How do you do it on the internet? It's, it's right. a weird space. And I think that, so... I think that's such an interesting conversation because I think there's there's one thing with information sharing. Um, with COVID, I think our audience has been very uh, compassionate because we, we all understand, I think, that this is a developing situation at this point and things are changing. Um, what helps with Instagram posts is that it tells you how many weeks ago it was uploaded. So when someone looks at an old post and it says, you don't need masks, because remember there was a couple months at the beginning of the pandemic where they were like, yeah. you don't need masks. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, you know, if someone was to see that, it, it shows the date. And I think, I think, you know, we've never experienced anyone being like, this old one doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, when, At least you hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What, what I, what we've also experienced is miswriting something and we take the post down and we repost it. And in our caption, we go, that wasn't right. So here's the corrected version, correct version. Um, as we start to, 
which is, I think with, when it comes to like science and ex- explaining things, uh, it's a little bit more cut or dry, cut and dry. Like, yeah. it, like it's, it's, it's either valid, it's either true or there's a gray area and you can identify that there's a gray area you can move on. Yeah. What we're experiencing now is as we start to talk about world issues, social issues and stuff like that, there's, uh, there's complexity in that. Um, and I think that's where a lot of like uh, my generation's like cancel culture comes in, mm-hmm. um, which I, which I hate. I hate, I think people should be held accountable, but canceling someone who's trying to do good or trying to be better or trying to grow doesn't serve the conversation. It actually prevents people from trying to be better because it, yeah. it's, it's hard to engage then. So recently we posted, you know, about the settlers take action and we overgeneralized it, uh, what a settler is. We said, if you're not indigenous, you're a settler. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, people, uh, cared loudly at me, um, <laughs> cared loudly oh that's good i like that um and we're like you are you're not considering the situation from the perspective of someone who's a descendant of slaves um valid they didn't choose to come here uh and as well as the nuances around you know if you're part indigenous and uh part you know white or if you're if you're black and white like someone who's mixed um like we didn't we didn't talk about those nuances uh, and now we're caught up in this discussion around what is a settler, but now we have a responsibility to address that on our grid. Uh, and in it, we're going to define it better, but at the beginning, we're going to also reframe it to be like, look, the intent of this post is to remind people that this isn't a decision between a discussion between the government and, and indigenous people. We as individuals who live here have a responsibility to be allies, to show up, to do the work, um, and if 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 you're not a settler, that's fine. But that doesn't t- take away the responsibility to actively engage in what's going on in this moment. Um, and I think that's what happens often is like the world gets caught up in a word or a term or a language. And I, and I get that there are deep emotions and feelings and valid histories there. But this moment shouldn't be about what the definition of a settler is. Um, although that is an important distinction to make, this moment should be more about um, what are we going to do about the fact that they found 215 of the thousands of kids that are still missing? Yeah. Um, and that's really, yeah. So, I mean, to answer your question, when we mess up, we just say, yeah, we did mess up. And um, here's what we're thinking. And if people don't like us for that, that's fine. But if they stick around, um, I think we'll show that our that 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 we're continuously improving and just trying to be good people. So. I like that. On Canada is what it is. If you go and you want to check it out, uh, do that. Go to oncanadaproject.ca. You can see all the information there. And uh, maybe it's your thing. Maybe it's not your thing. You know what? If it's not your thing, that's even that's awesome too because at least you'll see how somebody is going and creating, uh, trying to have an impact. And uh, if nothing else, it's a great example of just getting involved. Uh, as a writing guy, do you want to know what the, um, do you want to know the most important word that I teach in my writing in the English languages? Yeah, sure. And I think you're a great example of this word. The biggest word and the most important word in living life is participate. Oh, I really like it. And I like how you you and your, your, your gang of millennial people who love avocado toast or avocado toast are participating. <laughs> Get a post on that. We got, people were angry. They were angry about that. Millennials came for us. We were like, guys, like, like, stop worrying about your avocado toast or something. And people were like, excuse me, I'm a millennial. And I do not like avocados. And I was like, right. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so good. Well, there, there you go. There's the simple, but not easy thing. Thank you so much, uh, Samantha, for joining us on CanadaProject.ca. Check it out on there. Samantha Krishna Pillay is the founder. And there is a large group of Canadians that are working hard to make a difference. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's the Shift Podcast. Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. Andrew, Canada has an injury. What are we going to do? I am I am dripping with sweat. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, that just got weird all of a sudden. Well, uh, are we still talking about the science. same thing? <laughs> oh, I was talking about something entirely different. Oh, good. That's not okay. How are you, buddy? Drenched in sweat. 
Okay. Yes, you brought It's that very up. warm. It's very <laughs> warm. I'm not sure if you can hear the box fan grinding away uh, pathetically no. in the background, but um, no. she's trying her hardest. Doesn't make a difference. Oh, maybe I can. Oh, I think Just I can. Let it sit for a sec. Yeah, that's yeah. totally you. I thought it might have been me because my door's nope, open. Nope, nope. That's, that's my box fan doing its darndest. Um, All right. Well, good temperatures mean sweaty, Andrew. Um, oh, God. Uh, because good temperatures. this is making me feel Ooh. awkward. Well, let's move on to uh, space things. No, All right. Um, fine. I'm fine to talk about bodily fluids, but someone isn't. Canada, <laughs> Canada has... Andrew, yep. focus. Uh, <laughs> Canada has uh, an injury. Yes. And people might not actually know that Canada Arm 2... Is uh, is a thing on the space station because most of us know Canada Arm from um, the shuttle. From the shuttle, yeah, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Canada Arm Two Electric Boogaloo um, is permanently fixed to the International Space Station, uh, and over the weekend, um, an inspection found a um, and what this is what they called it a lucky strike um, on the uh, on the Canada Arm because think about space and how big it is. Space is at least like ten kilometers across, right? Uh, the Canada Arm 2 is only 14 inches across. So a rock oh. hit almost dead center on the Canada Arm uh, in the vastness of space, which is incredibly lucky um, by some accounts uh, and incredibly unlucky um, by others. Now, on the lucky hand here, um, it doesn't seem like this injury to the arm will actually affect any of its short-term um, performance or missions. Um, it'll actually be in not too long um, looking to help replace some external uh, equipment on the space station along with some astronauts who are going to help out there. Um, and that's not presented or projected to be an issue. Um, it seems like the damage is just to the, the thermal jacket uh, to the space, uh, to the Canada Arm 2. And the thermal jacket is essentially, it keeps it nice and cozy. Because in space, it's either really, really hot, like you'll die, and really, really cold, like you'll die. So that's um, kind of cool. So the Canada Arm basically has a Canada Goose puffy coat. Yeah, pretty much, except a lot more expensive. Nice. Really? Probably somehow, cheaper. Have you gone somehow, shopping for it? <laughs> somehow a lot more expensive. Um, the damage was spotted on May the 12th, so it's it's been you know a few weeks that they've just kind of been like, all right, cool. Um, and like they said, the, the damage is limited. Um, the arm boom, the performance of it shouldn't be impacted. Uh, they also got lucky in that it impacted probably not too far from like a joint in the arm. And if this had hit a joint in the arm, the arm could have been rendered inoperable. Um, but because it kind of just hit the boom and it didn't sever anything important, they believe um, it'll be fine. And here's a fun little fact for you about the Canada arm too. It's not actually controlled on the space station. Um, a lot of people. Oh, no way. Yeah. It's actually controlled uh, from the Canadian space agency headquarters uh, just outside Montreal. Um, no so whenever the Canada arm has to um, dock spacecraft, which it does sometimes, or whenever it has to help um, repair stuff outside the station, it's all controlled here on the ground in Canada, which is something that not a lot of people know. And it's very cool fact. Um, huh. And yes, you are right. The Canada arm is on the back of the Canadian $5 bill. Um, that is the thing in case you haven't looked at a $5 bill in years, which I haven't. I, I don't carry cash anymore. It's not a thing that I, I do. Also don't carry around five dollars because that's that's big money in my world these days i was about to say i also don't have five dollars to carry around but <laughs> that's that's a separate problem um but this is actually kind of an interesting point to bring up because a lot of the things that i care about that not many people do uh one of the big ones among them is the problem of space junk um look i'm under no i'm under no illusions about what i care about i know most people do not care but that's okay that's why i'm here um, but space junk is a, is a potentially really big problem. If you haven't seen the movie Gravity, that's why it's a big problem. Um, and go see Gravity if you haven't. Not the most scientifically accurate, but boy, is it fun. Um, and horrifying, both. It's a great mix. Uh, but space junk can very quickly and very easily become a gigantic problem in orbit. Because um, all it takes is a piece of junk hitting something with remote size, and that thing blows up into more pieces, which hit more things, which blow up into more pieces. And soon you have a cascading blizzard of garbage in space, which is not well, good. Let me let me ask you that question, because that's what my thought was, is when, when one rock hits the arm, you know, sort of dead center with a really lucky strike or unlucky, depends on how you look at it. How You know, how is it, how do these things not just all of a sudden you're napping and your little 
International Space Station hammock, and then a rock comes through. Oh, it, these things could absolutely happen. Um, the space station is hit with debris. Like, this is something that is part of life on the space station. Um, I remember, I can't remember what year it was, because time has no meaning anymore. But when uh, when Commander Chris Hadfield was aboard the International Space Station, um, I remember him <clears throat> uh, putting out a picture of like what looked like a bullet hole in a solar panel um, on the space station. And he said, you know, lucky that they didn't hit the station. Um, because something like that has the possibility of breaching the station. Um, hmm. Now, the station itself is shielded, and, and it's, it's a heavy-duty thing. It's got to withstand... You know, the pressure is inside versus the vacuum of space on the other side of a wall. Um, so it's heavy duty. It, it can, you know, it can hold its own, but it doesn't mean it's impervious. Um, a big enough rock will punch a hole in the space station, and that could be real bad news. Yeah. Um, luckily, well, here, it hasn't happened. Here's a question and, from a listener that comes in, Andrew, about exactly that. It says, what size of the rock do they know? How fast was it going? And part two of the question, why isn't there a catcher's mitt on the end of the arm to catch the rocks? Well, if there was a catchment on the end of the arm, that would have to be one one hell of a dexterous catching arm. Um, <laughs> like, because these things, like these these rocks that whiz past the station, they're traveling upwards of twenty five thousand kilometers an hour. Um, these things are crazy fast. Uh, they orbit the Earth about the same speed or faster than the station, which is once every ninety minutes. Um, so when these things, you know, pass through debris, and like you saw, if you've seen the pictures of the damaged arm, it just goes right through. Um, assuming that the mass that it hits isn't really, really dense, it'll just pop right through. Um, wow. But again, with larger debris, it'll take more energy, and with larger debris, it has a chance to destroy more things, right? Um, but yeah, the stuff that's up there in orbit is flying literally faster than bullets. Wow. Um so if you got hit with it, uh, you wouldn't have much time to complain, to put it to put it lightly. Um, <laughs> you would not have very much time at all to complain about it. Um, and another Canadian robotic space news, because I figured, hey, we're already talking about Canada Arm Two. Let's talk about Canada Arm Three. Um, yes, there is a Canada Arm Three, I and this is actually—I didn't know there was a Part Three. <clears throat> a part Three. I can't think of a Part Two electric boogaloo for Part Three, but that's okay. Um, this is actually announced two years ago. Uh, and this is part of the government finagling NASA into giving a Canadian a seat uh, on the Apollo, on the new Apollo missions, the Artemis missions, to the moon. Um, so in exchange for seats on those missions, a uh, Canadian astronaut will be around the moon in the next few years, hopefully. Um, Canada Arm 3 uh, will be attached to NASA's Lunar Gateway, or as I like to call it, the ISS, but around the moon. Um, and so the Canada Arm 3 is projected to do what the Canada Arm 2 does for the ISS. It'll kind of sit outside, help grapple uh, supplies and ships to various airlocks. It'll help with um, diagnosing problems. Um, it'll be able to look around and inspect the structure. But here's the cool part. The Canada Arm 3 will also have the capability of operating autonomously. Um, so that means here on the ground in Montreal, folks won't have to be at the joysticks. Um, they'll just be kind of monitoring it and seeing what it'll do. Because the gateway will not be continuously um, staffed by people. Um, there will be periods when it's empty. And so during that time, the arm has to be able to do its own thing without guidance uh, from inside, you know, the lunar gateway. And so this is a, a two point. This is, this is a, you know, a two billion dollar project uh, for the for the nation. Um, and they're hoping that the Canada Arm 3 lasts 24 years, um, which is pretty insane when you think about how some newly paved roads last about eight minutes here on you know on earth um so <laughs> 24 you know, years I, though the warranty expires is like apple but 25 years you're out yeah exactly exactly but uh so that's just another thing that that's that's coming up with regards like to that. the moon and i love that this is actually essentially an arm twisty by the canadian government saying because canada is actually well known for its ability to do stuff with space robotics um, we've got the Canada arm. We have, uh, it's called Dexter. It's kind of like the hand to the Canada arm. It can grapple things and it has cameras and stuff. Um, and Canada leveraged its ability to kind of make these uh, super awesome robots and said, okay, here, NASA, we'll, uh, we'll provide another Canada arm for you, but you got to get seat for a Canadian um, on the Artemis uh, missions. And NASA was like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. hey. I'm happy to I'm happy to have that. 
Um, it's really there's cool. One more, I love it. And there's, and there's one more uh, space robotic thing that just popped into my mind here as we were talking. Um, mm. But this is a lot more recent, not 2019. This is like a, like a week ago. Um, but Canada has confirmed that in the next few years, we'll be sending um, a rover to the moon. And it'll be a Canadian rover, which I think is just awesome. Because Canada has this legacy um, of creating incredible robotics. And by 2026, uh, they hope to be launching um, two science instruments on this rover. It'll be one American and one Canadian instrument will be riding on board this rover. Uh, and the ideal is that they want it to survive an entire lunar night, which is 14 Earth days. Um, and now that's easier said than done because on the moon, it can get down to like minus 200 and oh, like right. plus and it's not 135. Get exactly. Yeah. It's got to be able to kind of make its own power um, and store its own power to survive the lunar night. Um, there's a Chinese rover up there right now, which has to go into essentially hibernation. Um, during lunar night because it just it has no way to generate power from its solar panels. And I think it just has limited battery life. So that kind of thing is what would limit um, a, a rover like this. Um, I haven't... There have been very few details um, released on what the rover would look like. Um, all we can do is just kind of look at what other nations have done and go, well, we'll probably kind of look like that, probably. Um, I don't think that Canada wants to put a, uh, a radio uh, radioactive isotope generator on board. Uh, those are the things that power uh, perseverance and curiosity um, on the Martian surface. Uh, we don't need that kind of robust, um, potentially hazardous, don't get me wrong, potentially hazardous. These are radioactive substances, um, radioactive substance kind of fuel. So I'm not sure about that. This is like hot off the presses as far as presses yeah, go cool. for Canadian space news. Like um, so look for a Canadian um, lunar rover in the next few years that'll be roving around on Mars, probably looking for water. Because um, there is water up there, believe it or not. It's frozen, but it's there. Uh, and we're going to need that if we want to do anything on the moon. Very cool. Anders C. Ferrer, I hope when they do a Canadian rover, it has a beaver tail that drags. That'd be all right. Um, I feel like that would... I wonder if there'd be any scientific benefit to that. There, there's got to be. And if nothing there else, we're be. just grooming and, and cleaning up the moon. For sure. Thank you very much, Andrew. Appreciate Perfect. the insight. Very cool stuff. Very nerdy. Very cool. I try. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.